You're listening to episode 42. Hey there, Business Generals family. Welcome to another super episode of the Business Generals podcast where I feature amazing guests and I ask in-depth questions about their entrepreneurial journey. You know, my belief is that it doesn't matter how your journey in life started. It's not that important because great or small, the important thing is how you finish. So whatever your situation today, I want you to know that you can get your hopes up, that you are good enough to chase your dreams. In today's show, family, I dig into how it all started for our feature guests, how they have built their brand, and I even get into all the juicy details about their big challenges, their growth moments, and all their big breakthroughs. So it's going to be an amazing show. I actually selfishly started this podcast because I love to hear how entrepreneurs did it, and I wanted to ask the questions for myself. So really... I am the number one student, so get ready for amazing coaching tips, family, to help you maximize your business dreams. Welcome and thank you for joining me here on the Business Shows Podcast, where I chat with amazing entrepreneurs five days a week. Davis Mutabo here, your host. I'm super excited to bring you today's feature guest, Mr. Russ Perry. Russ, are you ready to share your entrepreneurial story? Yeah, I'm very excited. Thank you so much for having me today. Uh, fantastic. Russ is the founder of Design Pickle, the number one flat rate graphic design service in the world, offering clients unlimited graphic design support at a flat monthly fee, which is absolutely cool. Uh, before starting Design Pickle, Russ worked for and with big brands like Apple and LG. So, Russ, I'm super pumped to dig into your story. Welcome to the show. Uh, But before we dive in, maybe take 30 seconds and tell us who is Russ outside of business. Yeah, great. I love that that, um, disclaimer because usually it's like, tell us about your business, but you you specifically don't want to learn about about that. Uh, So, I am Russ Perry. I am um, happily married. Um, most of my marriage has been happy. There have been a few dark years there. Uh, I have three daughters and uh, ages 11, 4, and 1 at the time of this interview. So it's kind of a large spread there. And we love to travel as a family. And I've been working really the last three or four years to create a lifestyle that supports travel. And uh, we did a little beta test this past summer in California, which wasn't a big trip because we're in Arizona. So it was just one state away, but we were out there for a month and I just confirmed a, our next trip, which is next spring. And that will be in our, uh, I guess I should say next April, because that could be winter for depending where you're listening. Um, that will be to Belize in uh, Central America. We're going to be going there for six weeks. So it's, uh, it's been, it's been a long journey, but that's what we love to do. That's what I love to do. Experience new foods and cultures and, um, design my life to support that. Yeah, that's incredible. And if we talk business, um, how long have you been in full-time business for yourself, Russ? Oh, man, I would say 10 years almost to the dot. Yeah, I uh, founded my first business in, in 2005, in October 2005, but it was about a year until I went full-time. And that was basically a, a creative-type branding agency okay. back, in that, back in those days. Incredible. And, and the current revenue streams that you that you are enjoying today, what are those? Well, my my bread and butter, uh, not to have too many f- food puns here, is with Design Pickle, uh, the graphic design service you mentioned, and so that is what I've been working on since we launched that in January 2015, and really is it takes up most of my time and attention. I've dabbled in other revenue streams. I've done a few online courses and. Um, some some one-on-one kind of business coaching around that which is is enjoyable but also extremely time consuming and and not necessarily scalable which I'm all I'm trying to always figure out ways to you know do more make more with with less and um but yeah the the design pickle has been awesome we have uh, four employees here in in the u.s and then the rest of our team is located over in the philippines where we have about 40 employees over there oh really yeah it's it's a big team growing every day i mean every time i say a number by the time that gets out it's usually you know grown by 10 <laughs> percent 
Amazing. And and what sort of uh, client base or revenue base um, are you open to sharing in terms of size? Yeah, no, that's fine. Re, this, so we get an update every morning. Uh, I think right now we're right around 530 clients. And that puts us at about $150,000 a month in recurring revenue. Wow, that's amazing. Congratulations. Thanks. Yeah. yeah, it's been good. It's been a slow, slow growth. I mean, it's just been continuing to deliver on what we say we are going to do and adding clients to our core and having a little little bit of fun along the way. And um, is it quite profitable or are you upping the ante a bit before you, you turn profitable? No, well, well, we've been profitable since day one. Uh, when I launched, we, you know, I've, it's completely self-funded. We, I, the reason I went down the design path was simply because that is the business model that I knew. Running the agency, we did tons of graphic design. We did tons of other things too. Ultimately, doing too much was our downfall. We didn't specialize. So when I launched Design Pickle, I said, okay, how could I narrow our focus do it in a way that's frankly really easy to sell to say, Hey, you need design. Here's this, here's this way to buy it. That is risk-free, very simple, very affordable, but also profitable. Like I didn't want to have to be doing a, a, a big software startup where I got to take on all this debt or, or just be running in the red, hoping that we can make money. And I, and, and, and thankfully though, that I think has been part of our success was, after the first month, we had money left over to where I could then invest that back into sales and marketing and hiring. And we've just had that. We've just been that way every single month since we've launched. Mm, that's great. I'll come back to unpacking that story because I wanted to get uh, into some of those points you mentioned. But I want to step back 10 years back. Um, how did the journey start for you as an entrepreneur? Because I know you you worked in in uh, in the corporate world at some point. So, how did that transition happen? Uh, yeah, good question. So, uh, I was about ten years ago. I was working at Apple. I was working in the retail division, so within the Apple stores themselves, and I loved it. I mean, it was such a rad job. I was a fan of Apple. I idolized Steve Jobs, and and it was pretty much a dream job. Now, what had happened on my personal life was that I had my first daughter, a bit of a surprise when I was in college, but still, I loved her, you know, super involved in her life, and, and she, and during her first year of life, um, I was... I was battling just the corporate restraints around time off to be able to spend time with her because you have all these doctor's appointments, you have all these other stuff that you got to do. So I I started this wedge, started to get driven in inside me where it was like, look, I love Apple. Don't get me wrong. It was so cool. I, I worked there when they launched the iPod and the iPhone. I mean, these mon monumental experiences. But I was like ha literally having to ask permission to go see my daughter and to be with my daughter. So this, this wedge formed in my mind and uh, I guess it was a seed is probably a better analogy that just kept growing and growing and growing. Um, I had a design background. I did design and study design in college. So I was dangerous enough with the design tools of, of the Adobe apps. So I started just to kind of make money on the side and through, through kind of a fortunate chain of events, I needed <laughs> actually needed wrist surgery. And so I took medical, I got wrist surgery, um, leveraged the great insurance of Apple and used that leave, that medical leave to sort of launch my own creative business. And my whole plan was either this is going to work or it's not. And I'll just come back to Apple after medical leave. And, uh, thankfully it worked. So I was able to, uh, quit Apple and start to work for myself, which at that time was just me and a computer in my, in my loft at my house, I was renting with my roommate and, uh, yeah, just kind of grew it from there. So what was that business that was a design agency or was this? Um... Yeah. Yeah. Freelance graphic design. I remember my very first paid job ever. I designed a menu, a menu for this restaurant, this diner and, and, 
I knew nothing about menu design. Actually, there's a lot of psychology to menu design. Like one thing I learned after the fact is that anything highlighted or like starred in a box is the most profitable item on a menu. It may not be the best, the best tasting thing. It may it's just was what makes the most money for that restaurant. So I knew nothing. And I, I actually even found that one, that design a while back. And it was so it was so terrible. It was crap, <laughs> but people paid me and, you know, I knew more than them. So that, that's how I, I launched it. And eventually I hired my first employee. We got offices. We started to work with more kind of more of a real formal company. And I did that for the better part of eight years. And then, uh, eventually, um, took on a partner towards the latter half of that, uh, who was in Argentina and had a, and then had a team down there for about three years where we did all the design work and really kind of learned about how to manage design remotely, which was obviously a massive skill set that I then took to launch mm-hmm. Design Pickle. And and um, what happened to that business? Did you sell out? Did you wind it down? Well, I kind of mentioned to you, we, we really struggled. So, so, when I took on a partner, we struggled to specialize. And at first it wasn't a problem because we were making money. Things were doing good. We were kind of rebounding after the big economic meltdown that affected everyone in the world. And, and so, but I saw things start to, what, what I really saw was we were, we had no attrition with clients. So we would get these clients in the door and they wouldn't stick around after our whatever contractor engagement that we had. And so it was this continual revolving door. And I remember sitting down with my partner and, and actually I had two partners, um, husband and wife, but my partner Federico, who we're still friends to this day. I love him. He was, he's an amazing, smart guy. Uh, he, he was coming from a much different economic environment in Argentina than I was in the United States. And so we would have these differentiating point of views. And I was like, look, we got to specialize. I don't care if we specialize in the industry, like we go after farmers or we go after plumbers or whatever, or specialize in, in what we actually do. So we become a website only company, or we only do mobile apps, or we only do branding or whatever. So I was really pushing on that. And he, he rightfully so was seen the opposite trends in Argentina. So, so, so everyone in Argentina, all the specialists were becoming generalists. And here in the United States, all the generalists were becoming specialists and we never really could agree on it. And eventually we had a a really rough summer where we um, started selling a new product. We were, we became HubSpot resellers and the, the implementation was just more than we were ready for. And we lost a lot of new business. Actually, it wasn't new business. It was contracted business that we lost. And that was in 2014. But at that point, I was just like, like we, we literally lost 50% of our business in, in three months in a three months time. And I was just like, look, like I, I, I was the sales guy basically here in the United States. And I was just like, I can't do this anymore. Um, I have to, I have to pursue something else that, that I didn't know at the time what it was, but I just knew that it wasn't going to be an agency. So we just sort of closed up shop and liquidated our assets. And, and, uh, September 1st, 2014, I literally was unemployed. I had no job and no plan. And mind you, I was married. And at that time I had another daughter. So I had two kids too. And, and how did this idea come about for, um, your new business then? Yeah, it, it was, it was really a gradual process. So, Coming, you know, being 30 and unemployed really rocks you. Like it really makes you think a lot about what you're doing with your life. (laughs) And so I started to really explore the, the like coaching and I went to some conferences here locally and just like, what the heck am I going to do? And so I eventually came up, um, independent of any business idea of, of really these, these filters or these outcomes that I, that I said, like, look, whatever I do, here's what I want for my life. I want to be able to travel. I want a business that I can, that, that frankly is valued because when we closed the agency, there was no, there was no, um, equity in that business because it's just like creative ideas and MacBooks. So, you, you know, there's not much there. Um, so I created this list, this whole list of things. I mean, about a half dozen items 
And then I just sort of sat on it and I, and I consulted, I just did consulting and was really fortunate to have a couple of really great opportunities that allowed me to make enough money for my family and not be like, you know, completely changing my lifestyle. And out of the consulting emerged this sort of, I would say, I wouldn't call it a problem, but like it, it was a bit of an ego test because my consulting clients were asking me to do things like business card design and, hey, we need this flyer for this event. And remember, I had just come from an age like I had I literally had like 20 plus designers a month, the month prior doing all of this for me. So it was a bit of an ego check. But rather than doing it, I outsourced it and I found a project manager and I found a designer. They just so happened to be from the Philippines. That wasn't by design. It just was who, who I found that I enjoyed working with. And so I had my clients start to request things directly into them. And, uh, that grew and I got a couple more consulting clients and I was eventually, there was enough of this system that I had developed to where in December, 2014, I read the book seven day startup by Dan Norris, uh, and who, who runs WP curve amongst like three other businesses. The guy does a ton of awesome stuff. And, um, I said, Oh my gosh, I have a business here. I have the systematized way to do design so I did what I actually know how to do really well, and that's put a brand around it and and launch it. So we launched in 2015 in January, and um, you know it's been a, it's been a roller coaster ever since, a good one not to say the least. But but it really that that idea of design pickle was super organic. And, and, and right as I was about to launch it, I went back to this list of, of things that I knew I wanted in my life. And I was like, okay, can I work remotely at it? Yeah. Is this, a, you know, I wanted a recurring revenue type business. That was huge because, because I would, didn't ever want to have to chase an invoice ever again. And yeah, that was it. And it passed all my checklists and, and we launched and I picked design pickle cause I, I really just love pickles and the domain was available. There actually wasn't that much strategy to the brand. <laughs> That's that's incredible. So, because one of my questions um, was going to be, um, you know, how, how how do you differentiate yourself from the competition? Because there's a, there's a number of big players who kind of do similar services, but maybe slightly different model. Yeah. So the biggest differentiation, really, we look at the we look at the the landscape of competitors broken down in into about three buckets. The first bucket is what I called your traditional resources. This is going to be your freelancer or your designer friend who, who needs a job or whatever. So when we compete against those guys, um, the biggest thing for us is just to differentiate that it's not an or proposition. We don't want you to fire your designer in lieu of design pickle. Uh, and, and that's always ed- We're always educating about that because we do, we do a lot of stuff, but we also don't do a lot of stuff. Now, when you get onto the online services where, where most people are running their models, thinking about like 99 designs or Fiverr or even like Upwork or or whatever, like Upwork, I think is what they rebranded to. They're all transactional based ecosystems. So Fiverr really doesn't care about your experience. They say they do. What they want is you just to do a lot of business through their platform because they make a commission off of it. So they want, they want volume. Um, and everyone that works within that ecosystem, whether it's 99 designs, Fivers, or Upwork, they're all they're all the experience is 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 based off of the two people interacting directly together through some sort of platform. But you could have a great experience, or you could have a really bad experience, and. And they don't care so much. I mean, you could complain and maybe get a refund or whatever, but Upwork isn't training their designers. Uh, Like Fiverr isn't running um, classes on culture. And so where we flip the model is we, all of our, all of our providers of design are our, 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 our team, our staff, you know, legally they're contractors because I'm in America and they're in the Philippines, but they work for us full time. We pay them full time. They don't track hours. We have a very, very strong culture. Um, you, you know them. In fact, we're doing, we're, we have an annual event 
event we do in the Philippines where we get everyone together. That's coming up in February. I'll bring my whole team out there. And so that's the biggest, that has been our biggest differentiator is this real friendly culture that you can feel and get connected to. And, um, some people could care less, you know, some people are fine, you know, without it. But I think if you're serious about your business, you want someone working with you that cares about your business and that can learn about your business and knows your business. And so that's the that's the role we provide when it comes to this, frankly, very mundane type of design. You don't if you try to hire a local agency to design your Facebook ad variants, they're going to be like, really and you're going to pay a lot for it and they don't even like doing it <laughs> so so we we love doing it and we do it with a smile and and you know you don't have to pay a ton of money for it yeah do you know what i love is the fact that you've actually sat back and thought through um you know your key differentiators and and like and that's important because that's the message that the market will hear and then people will resonate because i've used fiverr i've used upwork so you know exactly what i'm talking about then in terms of yeah absolutely i mean you you go back and you say hey i want to find that guy and he's not there and you've got nobody to ask where is this person i like their previous work <laughs> it's just gone <laughs> Maybe they're working for Design Pickle. <laughs> We've recruited them. <laughs> maybe, maybe. Um, so that's 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 great. That's good to hear. Um, so at that at that beginning point, what I also love is the fact that it, it was organic. So obviously, you, you leveraged your previous clients uh, and connections. But um, did you automatically know that it was going to succeed when you started to think about you know packaging it all up and, and moving into into this model? Well, it was already working for me. And that was the biggest. I like literally had created the frame of Design Pickle to scratch my own itch because I wanted... I wanted a way that I could get this design stuff done that wasn't going to take a lot of time and energy. And that was easy. So... So because I had the background in in my from my agency days, I also knew there was no one delivering this service in this type of model. So did I know 100% it was going to succeed? No, but I was pretty confident that I that it was going to work simply because I, I I understood what was already out there and I had done the research. And that's and that to me is what what I what blows my mind when people launch products or they're talking to me about what they want to do is that they try to launch something into a marketplace that either there's no demand or need, or it's going to require them to do so much education that you need massive amounts of money to be able to sort of re-educate your client base. Hey, you're doing it this way. Please do it this way. You know, I don't need to really educate you. I said, hey, do you need design? Yeah. Okay, cool. Well, here's how we do it. And here's the price. Like sales pitch is over. Like I don't, I don't need to teach you about any, like it's, you're already doing it. And, um, you know, down the road, I'd like to do other things and beyond design pickle. I think I would like to do more disruptive ideas, but as my first go at a, a new model, a new kind of business, I just said, shoot, this is a huge marketplace. Everybody needs it. Um, usually people are really frustrated or they're paying a lot. So how about, I, how about I just do something different and position it differently? Yeah. So, so Russ, what services are you offering, uh, core services, and how are you offering them? Well, the design is like a limitless ocean of variants and often very subjective. So we always kind of frame up our services very simply saying, can you explain it in an email? If you can explain it in an email, we're going to be in good shape. Um, things like a website or a mobile app or video graphics or all those things, you can't manage that. You can't get that done in an email based process, which is how we manage our stuff. So we, we don't do those things. We wouldn't, we assume you have a brand. We assume you kind of know what you want and you're coming, you're coming to us saying, look, uh, I need these brochures or I need these web ads or I need this graphic for my blog or I need these graphics for my event. 
So that's where that's r- roughly the scope of work is we, we love to do the, the, the creative content you need for sales and marketing, um, whether that's online or offline, doesn't matter to us. And how are you executing on that? Is you, have you developed your own software or you're literally just providing the, um, you know, bums on seats and providing that um, IQ? Yeah, so everyone's running, everything routes through our software, which is custom built. Um, and we leverage and we leverage a ticketing system to kind of manage the volume. We're doing like 300 things plus a day. So there's a lot of, a lot of volume moving through our system, but you work with the designer. They manage about 10 to 12 other clients and, how fast things get done really is our throttle for the whole the whole experience and that just ultimately depends on your volume and and the complexity of what you need if you sign up and you need a handful of facebook ads you can expect those to get done really fast you know in a day or two um if you need a hundred of them then well like just be patient and we'll get them done. You know, your, your, your designer works on your account every day. They get to know you and our top tier clients are masters of using our system and they get literally hundreds of things done a month, but they're very clear. They know exactly how to communicate and work with their designer. And, um, and that's always, I think that's like, like kind of to go off on a tangent really quick. Like I think the biggest problem with design and, and, and people working with designers is that, businesses don't have a lot of experience working with designers and designers are really crappy at running businesses. So it's like this poor match where no one really has bad intentions, but like just, there's not, there's no one in the middle to make sure things succeed. And that's, that's really what we do. You know, we put you in touch with a really talented designer, but we're this, we're this like, like, um, controlled environment that everything happens within. So if there is a problem, which there always is with design, even with our stuff, you don't have to feel like you're helpless and just at the the mercy of this designer, you can raise your hand and say, Hey, I don't think this is working. And I'll tell you, usually it's the client's fault because they're not being clear. <laughs> they, they don't know what they want. But when I see clients quit and cancel because they are now have the confidence to hire their own designer, that makes me really happy because that tells me that they have now learned enough about this industry and about design that they can go off and bring on their own person. And, and that's, that's the best that I can ask for because that means that we've done a good job, you know, with, with this person and our client and our experience and getting them to that next level as a business owner or as an entrepreneur or as a marketer or whatever. I've always found designers that um, we've used in the past because I do quite a bit of work with clients and with some of my community work that I do is um, they never quite get it right in the first instance what you explain. And, and uh, some, some people say, oh, but they're the designer. They should not. And I'm like, no, no, no. You've got to hold their hand and keep walking them through it until you know they get it so so hopefully with your with you guys having project management teams etc as as another layer provides that extra help for your clients and that's a good point of difference i suppose yeah yeah and 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 every i mean i own the company and i get stuff back from my designer that i've been using for eight months and it's not right and I give them one round of edits, one like point them in the new direction, give them some good feedback and they knock it out of the park. It's just how design works. Now, imagine, though, you're getting billed per hour or per revision or you have this super limited environment that you're expected to get your design done. There's a lot of pressure. And so when it so then in that, that circumstance, when it comes back incorrect, you just feel like you're like, oh, oh, no, I'm wasting money or I'm having to I'm having to pay for your mistakes for not understanding me. And that's the fundamental issue with with a lot of design is that like, you know, you have this like really kind of stressful environment that the engagements are designed around. And I mean, that's. I could talk about that forever. I could go on tangents. Like I literally vision myself giving like a keynote speech at a design conference about like stop being idiots designers about how you charge your clients because you're causing a lot of problems. <laughs> uh, I want to move on to how you actually grew the business, but I do want to drop this. You know, I've got like 60 bucks stuck in Fiverr because the person who designed this brochure for me just 
did the wrong thing completely and then I and then I try to get it out of five and they're like oh you're too late you know it's already been paid out and then it's just become a massive debacle and I'm just giving up <laughs> and it's 60 bucks right like it's not that much money but it's the principle and it's the frustration and you're thinking about it and you're mad like <laughs> yeah, it's good conversation I love it um, so how did you grow your, your business after, you know, you, you, you established, you branded it and you're like, right, I'm now going to take it off to the market. What, what were those, some of those key moments? Well, our first key moment was our first event and that was the Infusionsoft conference in 2015 and I believe the end of March, beginning of April. And it was our first real introduction to the marketplace beyond my immediate network. And that was a big success. Uh, I, I took the liberty of buying a pickle costume and handing out pickles during the whole event, which was really the, the what I could do in the amount of time and money that I had. But it taught us that, look, we really are on to something. And we made enough money from that event, more, a lot more than we invested, to then start doing paid advertising, which we've we continue to do this day on Facebook, and that's been really big of a big acquisition strategy. Uh, but still to this day, I mean, 75% or more of our clients are coming from word of mouth referrals, our current clients. And I know, I know you don't want to build a business simply on referrals, but it's, it is simply because we do what we say we're going to do. I mean, and that's, and that has been the biggest, the biggest, piece of our growth success is that clients can rely on us. Um, where do we don't oversell it? We really are. We're even in the sale. Like if you email me on the sales process, I kind of undersell it a little bit just to say like, look, I'm not going to try to convince you to try our service. Just try it and decide for yourself. Um, but this year we did another event in September, which was a big success. And so we are actually now going to be doing seven events next year, which will be huge for us. We're bringing on some new staff. Um, and a lot of that comes back around to, again, what I was, I was kind of joking, but, but serious, like it's a simple, it's a simple sales proposition. I don't need to give you a demo. I don't need to teach. It's not like content marketing or marketing automation, where you need to like learn this new way of doing things. It's simply asking you to try something new. And, and that to me, we found is some, that awareness is our biggest sales strategy is just getting people more aware of it, doing podcasts like this, just sharing our story. What, what did you do in your September conference? Did you have more people wearing that costume or not? Uh, yes. And, and it was a big day. It was a big day for me last year when I retired as the pickle and handed that off to my first employee guy named, or here at least my first employee here, guy named Jim, he, he, he wore it briefly, um, but he's like he's like a, a like a like a really like like strong like sturdy guy. So he <laughs> sweat so much of that pickle costume that we had to retire it and get a new one for our new employee Michelle. She actually got a custom one made, and she's much smaller. So Michelle was the pickle. But yeah, we had did the same thing. Handed out pickles, talked to, talked to people about the service, showed examples of our work, and just had fun and shared the story. Uh, that was a conference in Florida and it was super simple and we had a really big success that a lot of people really jump on board with what we were doing. That's incredible. So you've kind of found something that's working, that's attracting, um, you know, sort of the, the normal mundane type of advertising or, or disrupting people's attention in a, in a live conference. And then, you know, they, they can check out what you guys are doing. So that's, that's pretty cool. I want to talk about failure. Um, did you ever feel like it would fail and did that hold you back at all? Um, you know, I don't think I've been to the point with design pickle that I'm like, Oh man, things are going to fail. Um, the big, I think the biggest failures for me in the last few years have really just have been more as a leader. Like we've had a couple employees here that didn't work out. And I, I like, I hired this sales guy who was a friend. I'd known him since college and was really pumped up. And when I had my agency towards the latter half of the, of the, of the event, uh, or sorry, to the latter half of the experience, I was able, I was doing a lot of sales or 
with, or we'll work with companies like software companies that have very complex sales strategies. So there was like B2B sales models for software. So I kind of thought that was what we should do too. So I had like hired the sales guy and we did all this training and we bought all this cool software and all these leads. And I mean, literally invested three or four months and I'm paying his salary and it just was a complete failure. I mean, like it, it, it literally, we lost so much money during that time. And it, and I drove the whole thing. And this guy, uh, Matt, who's awesome. I mean, he's such an experienced sales guy and had a lot of success with sales was like having zero success with us. So out of that, while I felt like a failure, I really learned like, you know, not every glove fits every hand and and that sales strategy just wasn't the right sales strategy for us. And similarly, we had a customer success success gal was really awesome initially, but eventually we realized that, you know, the way that that she approached customer success just wasn't a good fit for us. And in both circumstances, you know, it's funny. I now just realized this, the, the, the warning signs was that, Culturally and with their core values, those people weren't quite a fit. And had I stuck to that initially and, and used that as my measuring tape before to hire them, we probably could have avoided that. But um, and now we really hire along core values. But I had to go through those learning lessons to kind of get to the point where we're at today. That's incredible. Yeah. So so around your team and, and leadership around that. So. Now, now you've got 40 employees uh, and, you know, over 500 clients and doing, doing quite well in your, your recurring revenue. Was there a point where there was a, a, a recognizable inflection um, in terms of your, your trajectory or has that just been compounding month on month at a steady pace? It's very steady. The only times we've seen a, a big a b- big tick up is during around our events, and it's funny too because we had this big event in in in, in April two thousand and fifteen, and I did not do another big event until September of two thousand and sixteen, and I had an even bigger result from that event. And I can't tell you why I didn't do it. It's almost like. I kill myself because the data is so obvious, but I finally had this, I think because events are so draining, like they just take so much energy from our whole team. I didn't want to burden us with that. Uh, however, I just, the, I now know like, look, don't worry, like trust the data, not the, not what you think or the emotions. Yeah. I love that. That's tweetable, man. Trust the data. Great. Um, this is good. I'm loving this conversation and I'm learning, learning a lot. Um, I want to ask you some of the philosophies that maybe have governed your, your life and some of the business principles um, that you live by. So I want to ask you, how do you rank the following, if at all? Faith, fun, family, finances, friendships. Well, uh, it's evolved. Today, I would definitely put faith, family, fun and the top three and... I, I probably would have given you the same answer three or four years ago, but the reality was I was putting finances first. I thought that finances was going to be the key to unlock deeper relationships with my family, to have more fun. And that ultimately is what really, I, I think, caused a lot of the, the results of my agency. Um, I was so focused on the wrong things that we we basically created an, an unsustainable business. And it wasn't until I lost it all and I really was only left with my family and my faith that I saw, look, like if I put these things first and create around that without compromise and have some fun along the way, it's uh, it's almost like a flywheel that can spin faster and faster because because the more I work at Design Pickle, the more time and the more fun and the more exp- and the more that I'm I'm deepening my relationships with God, with my family, uh, and with my friends. And I work with my friends. I mean, that's an, that's true. Like everyone we work with, for, whether they're in the Philippines or here, are amazing people. And so that that it's so obvious. And every coach and every consultant and every person you hear could tell you the 
to, could tell me to you that exact same thing, but it's really, really hard to actually put that into practice. And especially if you're transitioning, if you are in a position where you're so reliant on some type of work or job or business for your finances to say, well, I'm going to leave that and pursue what I know in my heart to be more true. I, that hand was forced for me. I had no choice. And I talk about this a lot on stage and with groups. And I say, look, you have it a lot harder if this is something that you have to voluntarily do. I didn't. I didn't. I, I my partner, it was like, OK, we're done. Boom. <laughs> You're done, too. So um, so I don't know. I don't know how I would have reacted had we lost. Hadn't we had such a traumatic sort of fiery burnout of the agency? Maybe I would have never had the courage to do it. Thankfully, what happened happened, and I'm able to be on the on the on the positive side of it all. Yeah, thanks for sharing um, some deep wisdom there. Give me um, a bit of a look into what a day in your life looked like when you just started um, Design Pickle versus what your day looks like today. Well, um, I would, <laughs> man, I got no sleep. I mean, I think the initial few, the initial few months I was, I was up till three or four in the morning every day, every night, uh, working well, a lot of our systems, a lot of our processes, we were testing, we were building my, I was trying to overlap, I had a lot of overlap with my Filipino team, but also I was still consulting for the early days of design pickle. So a lot of my daytime hours were spent servicing other clients and still with that revenue stream. So, um, so I, I, I was very honorable around my consulting. Like I would not work on design pickle or at least try not to while I was being paid to do these consulting engagements. And the only time I had available after the consulting, after the kids, after the family was from 10 PM till 3 AM. That's when we were building processes. That's when we were writing email automation. That's when we were testing new tools and all of that. So it was a lot of hustle, a lot of, lot of hustle. And anytime I see someone with a full-time gig trying to launch something new and they're, they're, they're carving out like less than 10 hours a week for it. I just laugh. I'm like, it's impossible. You'll never launch it. You have to either, you have to work 80 hours, you know, 40 at your job, 40 at night. Uh, so that was, that's, that's, you know, I was really tired all the time. Um, I was really consuming a lot of, of education around startups, podcasts, other blogs, things like that, learning as much as I could about this industry. And it slowly started to shift where we started to see what worked and what didn't. And I think the turning point was when, when we had enough of a, of a, of a base of clients who just loved our service as it was, they weren't asking for anything different that I, that I stopped being, I stopped trying to like, like build a better machine and instead focused more of my time on sales and marketing to market what we had built. And that allowed us to scale quite a bit when, when that, when then my time was focused on sales and marketing and letting the operational side of things just run itself with, with my production team. That's interesting. Um, what about mentors? Do you invest in mentors? If yes, why? And who are some of those for you? Oh man. Yeah. And, and I cannot recommend I mean, for me. I, I think a mentor, I, I I've invested a ton in, in coaching and accountability. Uh, that has been huge. And maybe that's kind of synonymous for mentor, but the reason I've done it and I've had three coaches officially since I've launched design pickle, um, Taylor Pearson, who we had two phone calls and that was it. And it was like life changing. A woman named Dina Patton, who's here in Arizona. She's a coach, uh, primarily for women, but I'm around a lot of women in my family. So I just enjoyed working with her, but she's amazing. And then, uh, Garrett J white, who runs a program in out of Laguna beach called wake up warrior. And I've been involved with that over the last year, all three of them had the same outcome and that is accelerating time, like accelerating time, compressing time, allowing me to 
learn and cycle through and discover what I probably could have on my own in a much shorter time frame. And that, that I wholeheartedly believe is the value of a great coach or mentor is they could, they can get you to the point where you can see things faster. You can see your blind spots. You can come to those answers for yourself sooner than you would have just sitting by yourself at a Starbucks thinking about life. Yeah. <laughs> I like that analogy. That's good. Um, um, what about uh, books? Have you read any great books that you think are, are must-reads for entrepreneurs? Maybe give us two. Uh, I've frankly been really not reading a lot. Um, the ones that come to mind, the one that comes to mind is a book called Deep Work by Cal Newport. He is a MIT professor in computer science, but he writes a, a really amazing blog that is all about creating space in your life, unplugged, not connected to your phone so that you can get to that deeper level of creation. So his book, uh, which came out this year, was just freaking phenomenal and and, and, and really made me realize how distracted I am and how I need to continue to work on that. Um. I only got one for you. I honestly, as far as my other reading, it's like, you know, what's going It's my reports for my team. <laughs> That's what I'm reading every day. <laughs> well, actually, I was just checking my, my, my scribbles here, and you did give us another one, Seven Day Startup. Um, oh yeah, that's right. Seven day startup. I mean, that is a great book and here's why I like it. It's practical. It's real. It's not about theory. It's about, look, get this, get your idea rolling, get this thing going and here's how you can do it. And what's cool too, is there's a really supportive Facebook group too, that if you're launching or starting something new, you can surround yourself with like-minded people, which is really, really, really important. I have a friend here in in the States who lives out East and he's, he's been in corporate America his whole life and he's launching his own first business. It's like a gamification company for the, um, for the healthcare industry, like to help teach people to be more healthy through gamification. And my one piece of advice was your buddies that you go to happy hour with, or that you hang out and play soccer with from your company are not going to help you grow this business. You have to go and find other entrepreneurs, other like-minded people and surround yourself with those people. And that will help grow your business. And so seven day startup is a great resource beyond the book because they have good Facebook groups and there's hundreds of them. And I'm sure, you know, you've talked about them and, and, you know, hosted people who run them, but that's just a very, very powerful, like that association with people who are creating and building cannot be, uh, overstated. Yeah. yeah, absolutely. And, uh, we're looking forward to having the, the author of that book on this show now, probably in a couple of weeks times. So. Yeah. Tell Dan, I said, what's up? The pickle says, hello. Fantastic. <laughs> um, Ross, what is the best way for people to connect with you and find out more about what you guys are doing? So two requests is you follow me on Instagram. My goal this year or next year is to have more Instagram followers than my wife. And that's just Russ Perry. And there's no strategic plan at all involved in that other than I just want to say I have, have more Instagram followers than her. So find me, Russ Perry, on Instagram. And then go to our site and uh, fill out the contact form. I answer that. So if you want to you want to connect, you want to talk about anything we mentioned, you want to say what's up, um, the contact form on our site is it, it 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 is better to get a hold of me than that than emailing me directly because I ignore a lot of my emails. But if I see that contact form come through, that's a top priority, and I will make sure to get back to you. So that's the easiest way. It's funny you say that because when I'm reaching out to to people um, for you know whatever projects I'm working on or even. For this podcast, like sometimes I might have their email address and I'm thinking I'll probably use the contact form because they, that's not going to go in their spam. They're going to really see that uh, rather than an email. You never know where it goes, right? So it's interesting. You validated my thought process there. It's true because I use uh, Sane Inbox for for like sorting my email that, that filters out like newsletters and junk and spam. And it'll if it doesn't recognize you, it'll throw you in there. And I check it, but you know, a couple times a week and I probably have missed things too, but that contact form is trained to go right into my inbox where I know it's something someone reached out. Don't get me wrong. I still get a lot of spam from it, but I, yeah. at least I, I check it all. Amazing. Well, thank you so much. Uh, before I ask my last question, I do want to thank you and acknowledge you for everything you're doing in the marketplace and for 
being brave enough to re-engineer your course of action and, and really just, uh, you know, looking at what was working and, and building on that, even though there was competition, finding your own angle and creating something that is resonating in the marketplace and helping a lot of startups to, to find a good design team. So, so thanks for all that you're doing there. And, uh, and even for coming on our show here, I know you're flat out, you're busy, uh, but for coming to share and inspire even one person in the business generous community here today, absolutely thankful. Um, so for the last question, Russ, um, when all is said and done, do you think about legacy? And if you do, what do you want that to look like and be remembered for and tell us why? This is a heavy question, but I think about it all the time. In fact, as I was re, um, rediscovering kind of my relationship with God. I remember going to a church here in Arizona and one of the first sermons that at this church I attended was about changing your family tree and about how you have a legacy of your family and history, but you are the starting point of a new one. And so what are you going to build and what are you going to create? Because my children and my grandchildren, maybe one day grand, great-grandchildren won't know my father, won't know my great-grandfather or grandfather. They'll just know me and everything after. So I think about legacy all the time. And, um, and, and, and at this point, my answer is to, is to be the enabler for myself and my family to have experiences that they'll never forget. And as a family together, whether that is um, travel, whether that is spiritual, whether that is whatever, that's that's my legacy is to do that for them. So that's where that's what I'm currently focused on. And, you know, we'll we'll chat in 10 years to see if that's still the same. But (laughs) that's where my head's at. Well, ladies and gentlemen, there you have it Um, with Ross Perry, an enabler to help his family and himself experience Um, great things never to be forgotten so thanks for hanging out with me and Russ today I hope you had as much fun as I did um, walking through that story but more importantly I hope you've got your hopes up that you can chase your dreams and that you are good enough to do so head on over to businessgenerals.com to check out all the show notes type in Russ in the search bar and all those notes will come up and uh, to connect with Russ you can find him at designpickle.com and uh, you know, through the contact form, you can be able to reach out to him and his team. Ross, thank you so much for being on the Business Heroes podcast today and for sharing your story with us. I thoroughly enjoyed that. Absolutely grateful you are a true business general. Hey, thank you. An amazing, great questions. I really had a great time. Thanks so much. <laughs> Hey, what's up, Business Journalist family? Thank you for joining me and for listening to the Business Journalist podcast. Connect with me at Davis Mutabwa. That's D-A-V-I-S-M-U-T-A-B-W-A. Connect with me on Facebook, on Twitter, on LinkedIn. And you can certainly find me at our podcast blog, businessjournals.com. And while you're there, remember to access all the show notes, a ton of free resources, killer training, and so much more. Love you guys. Thank you for joining me. Ciao.